Okay, we want to welcome those who are joining us online. And uh, last week and this week, we're telling the Christmas story. It's beautiful. It's powerful. Often, we're so busy this season, we miss the beauty of what we're supposed to be celebrating. And last week, we started at the very beginning. Remember, all the way back in Genesis? Uh, Because really, this is a story that has been centuries in the making. And, uh, And yes, God, this was such an important event that God worked on the details of this story for centuries. And... There are so many things. By the way, is there something I can do for this? Or is this, I I hear echo. Does anyone else hear echo? Or is it just me? Is it preverb? Okay. To me, it's like a echo, 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 echo. (laughs) Should I just grab one of these up here? Oh, wait a minute. I think that's it. Okay, great. Okay, perfect. Okay. Okay. Um, There are so many in the Old Testament, so many prophecies, prophetic words spoken about Jesus and the coming of Jesus. And I'm talking about the first coming of Jesus. And most of them were were mentioned 500 to 1,000 years before Jesus was born. Last week we saw that there were over 300 direct prophecies of Jesus and a lot of others that sort of indirectly talked about Jesus. And, uh, and then we also kind of shared two, and I know a lot of people took pictures of this. It's kind of hard to get, but there's the next slide here. A mathematician calculated what would happen if you cover the whole state of Texas two feet deep with several dollars. Then you had someone pick one up, maybe mark it, throw it back into the state of Texas somewhere and then ask someone else to do the same. And the chances of those two people picking up the same silver dollar are, how does it say it? Are, are greater than if only eight of the more than 300 prophecies could be fulfilled in one person. Kind of amazing, really. And, uh, But we also talked about after all the prophetic words, all of a sudden there's 400 years of silence, right? And uh, it was a real time of testing. And then in the fullness of time, that's what Galatians 4 kind of says, in the fullness of time, verse 4 and 5, it says, but when the fullness of the time came, God set forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, So that he might redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. And one of the things we ended with last week is. It's amazing that this big story that God was getting ready to unfold. That when he finally gets ready to do so. 
He doesn't go to the rich and influential. He doesn't go to the powerful. He goes to what? Simple, ordinary people who just trusted and believed in God to actually weave their stories into this big story. And in the same way, God's preparing for a big event in the future for us as well, right? And that's what? The second coming of Christ. And likewise, the people who are going to be involved in bringing that all together are going to be ordinary, simple people like you and I. Okay, so let's jump to Luke 1, and let's start with the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. There's a lot of detail. I encourage you to study this on your own, to read it, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth in this. Uh, I'm just going to kind of tell the story this morning and kind of make some references. Well, we already talked about this last week. Elizabeth and Zacharias were, the scriptures say, they were advanced in age. That means they're old. Okay, right? Okay. They were certainly, if they were here, they certainly would have seen the full moon on Christmas, right? Okay. Uh, but Elizabeth had been barren all this time. It says that she felt disgrace among her family and her friends. And God decided to kind of weave them into the into this story. Zacharias was a priest. Probably didn't have a lot of things kind of exciting going on in his uh, life. Except when he was advanced in age, he, by lot, he was chosen to go into the temple and burn some incense. Actually, we're kind of singing about this morning about incense being burned up. And he goes into the temple. And as was the custom... A lot of friends and family, because this is this is a big thing for Zacharias. They were kind of outside the temple, kind of waiting for him to come out. He didn't come out at first. And, uh, and the reason is because an angel. And what was the name of the angel that came? Gabriel, right? He comes and he says, hey, um, Zacharias, I, I, I've come to tell you something. Uh, your wife's going to have a baby. And, uh, and this isn't going to just be an ordinary baby. It's going to be a son. I want to make sure you call him John because I've kind of, I, I've been planning this for a long time. And, uh, and this baby, when he grows up, is going to be a forerunner of the one who's going to be coming. The Messiah. And, uh, and what was Zacharias' response? I think you got the wrong person. You know, I'm too old, wife's too old. And, uh, and you know, I think a lot of times when God tries to do something, weave us into his picture of what he wants to do, a lot of times we can have the same response as Zacharias. Lord, I, I think you got the wrong person. You know, I, I can't do that. And we always have a lot of good reasons. I'm too young. I'm too old. I've messed up. I've, a lot of things. You know, I just can't do that. I don't have enough faith. And God is trying to tell us through this story is that when God wants to weave our story in, let's say yes. Okay. And, uh, but the Gabriel, the angel kind of said, listen, you know, God doesn't really like kind of the way you were kind of, kind of resisting this. It's still going to happen, but you're not going to be able to speak a word until all this is fulfilled. 
And sure enough, when he went back out, he couldn't say anything. And, uh, and they finally, through motions, kind of got the idea that an angel had spoken to him. And uh, anyway, you can read more of the story later. I'm trying to kind of finish all this today here. Okay, so now let's kind of jump to um, later on in Luke 1. By the way, Luke 1 has the distinction of being what? The longest chapter in the New Testament. 80 verses, lots of details, all about this. So it's pretty important, right? Actually, one of the longest chapters in the whole Bible, but certainly in the New Testament. So, uh, so then we kind of see, let's kind of look at Luke 1. Let's kind of look at verse 30. Let's kind of read a couple of these verses. Verse 30, Luke 1, verse 30. Uh, so an angel, Gabriel, comes and visits Mary. And Mary, as we said, was a young woman. I mean, she was really kind of like a teenager, we, we figure. And, uh, and uh, she lived in kind of a dirty old city of Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth did not have a good reputation in back in those days. It was kind of like, yeah, it was just, you know, if you're from Nazareth, in fact, even some of the disciples, when they heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, they said, can anything come good come from Nazareth? You know, just trouble, you know. So Gabriel goes to Nazareth and verse 30, it says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Why was she afraid? For the same reason you'd be if an angel kind of appeared to you, you know. It says, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Remember, we talked about that last week, right? That the Messiah had to come through the family of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And, uh, you know, I mean, she knew right away, even though she probably wasn't a great theologian because of her age, she knew that the throne of David, you know, uh, all that, that he was talking about the, um, you know, about, uh, you know, Messiah. And of course she responds, but not quite with the same attitude as Zacharias. Well, how can this be since I'm just a virgin? And the angel then goes on and says, listen, because with God, well, why don't we just kind of read verse 37 and verse 38. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So uh, nothing, but notice she said, let it be done to me, you know, according to your word. That was her response. And she said, I'm just a bond servant. Actually, bond servant, the Greek word there is doulos. Some of us who are part of the doulos, we've talked about that. This is one of the uh, uh, first times the word doulos is used. Mary used it. Okay. Now, also, Gabriel kind of said, by the way, you know your, uh, you know your cousin, um, you know your um, uh, Elizabeth lives down in Judea. 
you know, she's conceived a son in her old age. So, you know, uh, and she's already in her sixth month. So what happens? Mary goes down to Judea and she stays with what? Elizabeth and Zacharias for three months. So until probably about the time the baby came, you know, we don't know exactly, but that's what it seems like. And so when Mary visits Elizabeth, again, there's a lot of things that are kind of, well, maybe we should kind of, before we kind of do that, let's kind of go to Joseph. Because this was kind of very disturbing for Joseph, obviously, that the wife that he was engaged to was all of a sudden with child. So let's go to Matthew 1. And guess what? The angel of the Lord comes to him as well. And uh, verse 20. Uh, well, verse 19, he's talking about, you know, he thought, well, he didn't want to disgrace her. Maybe he should try to send her away secretly. But when he considered this, verse 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So I'm sure when they kind of talked about that, oh, the angel told you his name is Jesus too? Oh yeah, me too. That was probably a very confirmation, confirming thing, wasn't it? For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now it's kind of amazing that the angel is telling Joseph and Mary so many details about what Jesus is going to do. He's going to save them, his people from their sins. He's going to be called Emmanuel. Remember that verse back in uh, Isaiah 9? We read it last week. I'm sure Joseph knew about it. He says, and his name would be called Emmanuel. So, so this is part of the story. Again, very ordinary people. So anyway... Uh, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and so many details in this story. I can't go into all of them. Let me just mention a few. As soon as Elizabeth sees Mary, as she comes in the house, what happens? The baby in her room kind of leaps for joy. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and immediately it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she starts Talking about how blessed this baby is going to be. Not her baby, but Mary's baby. And then Mary's response is kind of amazing. In fact, it's, it's really part of one of the most beautiful and God-exalting passages in the scriptures. I mean, I, I don't believe that Mary should be worshipped like maybe the Catholic Church does. But she was. I mean, this is amazing for a young girl to be able to kind of come forth prophetically or just in response out of her heart. I don't know, but it's really beautiful. And it, and she is so humble in the way she, you know, the way she, um, you know, uh, gives this. And, uh, but basically, I mean, she's just talking about, you know, God's exalted through this and I'm nobody. I'm just, I'm just a bond servant. 
a doulos. Um, and then, of course, we see the whole thing about, you know, when, when Elizabeth finally has the baby, you know, everyone's kind of gathered around and they want to know what are we going to name this baby? And uh, Elizabeth says, John. And everyone said, no, no, you can't name him John. And, uh, and he writes on a piece of it, his name is John. And they thought, what? What's so special about this? And then all of a sudden, he started speaking Zacharias. And again, he just starts, I mean, I guess for nine, ten months, he hadn't been really uh, talking at all. All of a sudden, he just kind of flows out. You know, these, you know, just exalting God, you know, praising God. And a lot of it wasn't about this baby, but it was about the one that he was going to be a forerunner to. In fact, if you start looking at all the details of all the things that Zacharias and Mary says, and the angel says to Joseph, and the angel says, it describes really the whole mission of Jesus. It's amazing. It's all woven into this story. And again, God is using ordinary people. Okay, well, let's kind of go back to Luke. Let's go to Luke 2. I mean, Luke 1, we could kind of talk about a whole lot. But let's go to Bethlehem. And um, chapter 2, and I want to actually read this passage, the first seven verses. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Cornelius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Okay, let me kind of stop right here. Um, we talked about last week that, what, Jesus, the Messiah King, had to be born in what city? Bethlehem. The problem is, what, Joseph and Mary were living two or three days journey from there in Galilee. And uh, it's interesting because God arranged that there happened to be a census given by Rome. Now, Rome gave censuses, you know. By, by the way, how long did Rome rule? About a thousand years, more or less. And, uh, and they were always having censuses, uh, you know, every 10, 15, 20 years. But this is the only census in the whole thousand years that someone kind of had some bright idea in Rome Let's have everyone go back to their place of their ancestors to kind of register. And uh, only time is ever done in the history of Rome. And so it just happened to be while Mary was expecting and due. And all of a sudden, where's Joseph from? It says in the next sentence here, it says, um, um, yeah, verse four, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, and was with child. So, and, well, let's go ahead and read verse 6 and 7 too. While they were there, the days were completed for, their, for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes, and laid him in a manger, 
because there's no room for them in the inn. So Joseph happened to be from the house of David, Bethlehem. So he had to go. And by the way, there's no exceptions. You know, okay, if your wife is pregnant, you know, more than eight months, you get to be dismissed. You have to go. You can go later. No, he had to go. And so God felt like this is a pretty big deal for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, right? I mean, it's kind of amazing. And so they did. And remember, Joseph and Mary were poor, you know, and they get to Bethlehem. Didn't really know anyone that they could stay with. Tried to kind of find a room in an inn or something. No room. And so they ended up going out to what most church historians feel like where uh, they ended up going to was these birthing caves. In fact, they're still there in Bethlehem. Uh, And what were these birthing caves for? For, remember last week we talked about how Bethlehem, what really it was known for, in fact, it was the economy depended upon, you know, they raised lambs for the sacrifices made at the temple in Jerusalem because it's only about five miles away. And so, uh, but remember, the lambs had to be perfect. Remember, they had to be without blemish. So whenever lambs are, you know, getting ready to be delivered, they took in these birthing caves which were right outside the town of Bethlehem. By the way, they're still there, a whole bunch of them. And, uh, and this is where Jesus was probably born in one of these birthling uh, uh, caves. But why do we know this? Well, because it says that, it was, that there was a manger there, a feeding trough. They had it all laid out. In fact, not only that, but they... Uh, they had an elaborate system of taking care of these lambs. Like one of the things they did is they kind of had um, claws that were kind of like in strips. And that's what they would, they would kind of bind their, the, um, the legs and the, uh, yeah, the legs of the uh, lambs around where they wouldn't scratch themselves because they had to be, uh, they had to be, they had to be blemishless. They had to be without blemish. And here it kind of says they actually laid them in a manger in a feeding trough because they're in a birthing cave. What else? You know, they didn't kind of have a bed there, hospital bed or something like that, a crib. And they did that and they wrapped them up in these swaddling clothes, the same clothes that, you know, that they use for the lambs. Now, why is this kind of important? Well, I think it kind of shows that God decided this decided that this great entry into the world for his son, they had been talking about for centuries, it wasn't going to kind of be in a normal place. Actually, it had to be in Bethlehem to a poor family. Couldn't even have any room in the inn. They had to go to a birthing cave. But that in itself is significant because Jesus is going to grow up to be what? The Lamb of God. The sacrificed Lamb of God for all of us. So even that was prophetic. You know, so it was all part of God's plan. Again, a beautiful story. Um, well, let's kind of go on. So anyway, he was born there in the same region. There were some, verse 8, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. 
and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, they knew that was Bethlehem. There has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, very clear on who this baby is going to be. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. That's the sign. Oh, one of the birthing caves. We go there all the time. That's where he's going to be born. And so they went there. And sure enough, one of the birthing caves, that's where they were. But before that happened, it says... Verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, why would God choose shepherds to kind of reveal this? I mean, after all, shepherds were, well, Bethlehem was probably one of the lowest towns you could be from. Like we said last week, it's probably kind of smelly because of all the sheep and stuff, you know. Uh, uh, but shepherds were the lowest on the economical, social totem pole. And, uh, and you know, it was just appropriate for God to reveal what was happening, not to the rulers, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, but to the angels, or I mean to the shepherds there in the field. After all, he was going to be a lamb of God. And after all, he was going to be the great shepherd, right? The good shepherd that was going to care for us. And again, you know, shepherd, savior, king, Emmanuel, all these things describe so beautifully who Jesus is. That's why I encourage you to read this over. I know Christmas days tomorrow, but you can kind of read it tomorrow and the next day and the next day, you know, um, so he chooses shepherds in Bethlehem to let them in on a secret of what's happening. You know, it's kind of amazing. It says a little bit later, the shepherds told everybody, but everybody meant in Bethlehem. The word never even got to Jerusalem because after all, I mean, who would believe shepherds from Bethlehem? I mean, it just, it just kind of stayed within Bethlehem. You know, again, just the whole story, it just, it just, it, it just speaks of the simplicity of what God wants to do with ordinary people. Okay, then verse 15 through 20, and we're going to be kind of, yeah, it says, uh, when the angels had gone away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger or, you know, the birthing cave. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been, which had been told them about this child. In other words, they said, listen, we saw angels and they said, he's going to be our savior. He's going to be the one Christ. You know, he's going to be the Christ, the Lord. He, he's the one that, you know, they said, you know, this is going to bring glory to God in the highest. They kind of shared all this. And when all who heard it 
And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told by them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorified and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. So, again, they're going and they're telling everybody. But surprisingly, it never got out of Bethlehem. Well, that's not the end of the story. Because Luke 2 is also a, maybe about the second longest chapter in the New Testament. I think maybe the third, but it's, it's up there. And, uh, and all of a sudden, they go to the temple. You know, on the, on the uh, days of purification, it kind of explains it all. I won't go into all the details. And they run into two people there who had been what? Waiting for Messiah all their life. And both of them were advanced in years too. There was Simeon. And, uh, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. It says in verse 26. And, uh, and all of a sudden when the parents came in bearing the child, he ran up there, took him in the arms and blessed God. And he said... Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He even had the insight that this was going to be salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the ends of the world. I mean, it's amazing how everything that they were hearing described really the whole plan of what Jesus came to earth to be and to do. And he blesses, you know, the child and prophesies. And then in verse 36, there's a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years. And in fact, we're told that she was at the age of 84. And she comes up giving thanks to the Lord and speaking of him to all who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Do you see how God is just. He's speaking to what? I mean of course all to the prophets. Many different things. But he spoke to Mary. He, took, he spoke to Joseph. He spoke through Zacharias. He spoke to the angels. He spoke to Anna. He spoke to Simeon. And You put all these things together and we get a very good picture of who Jesus is. And God wanted to weave all that into the arrival of his anointed one, his Messiah to earth. And I don't know about you, but when I read this and I start thinking about what would I be thinking? And isn't it such a great privilege that, you know, for, for someone like a Simeon or to be a shepherd... Or to be Joseph. And the Lord reminds me that he is coming again. And his arrival the second time isn't just going to be just to Bethlehem. And to some shepherds and a handful of people. But it's going to be to his church. Those of us who are waiting earnestly for him. And, um, and that gets me excited. Because God's going to use us to help bring that together. Amen? Okay, so tonight, I want to kind of finish this up in about 10 minutes and just go to the wise men. 
But let me kind of give you a clue right now. The wise men, that's not just kind of a tack on to the story. That was a pretty significant thing too. In fact, have you ever thought about, by the way, were the wise men Jews? Probably not. They're probably, most people feel like they probably were the ancient Kurdish people up from Iraq, Iran, parts of Turkey. And God brings them into the picture. And they are the first ones to come to worship Jesus. It actually say, says they came to worship the king. And when they saw him, what did they do? They bowed down, laid themselves, they prostrated themselves and gave him gifts. That was the first time Jesus is ever worshipped. Now, when you get to the book of Revelation, he's worshipped all over the place. And during the life of Jesus, there's the transfiguration where people worshipped him. But it wasn't like the wise men. So the wise men really speak of something prophetically of what was going to happen that we're going to experience there in the last days. And also when we all are gathered together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So anyway, but we'll kind of talk about that this morning. But I just want us to kind of remember, this is a story that God had been working on for centuries. Just like he's working on this story that's coming up for centuries. Putting together all the pieces using people like you and me. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that... For centuries, you planned the, re- the arrival of your Messiah, King, Deliverer, Savior. You're so many things. And, uh, and it was all spoken ahead of time. And even when it was time, in the fullness of time for you to come, you were reminding through angels and whatever prophetic words that uh, who you are. And Lord, we want to learn from this story who you are, what you're about. But Lord, we also appreciate that you use very ordinary, simple people to bring about your purposes like us. And Lord, we want to be your bondservants to hear from you and to obey you and allow our stories to be woven into the big story that you're putting together today. Thank you, Lord. Amen.